Good morning. Joining us from somewhere near Heartland, Minnesota, our good friend Al Bat. Hey, Al, how are things out there? I have no complaints whatsoever. It's uh, my great pleasure to be uh, teaching some um, writing things at uh, Bethany this week. So it's always fun. Uh, kids, man, the, the world's in pretty good shape. I know it's the job of every generation to pick on those that come behind them, but man, they are so smart. Now, when you teach the kids, Al, do you give them bird topics by chance, or do you just pick nature topics or whatever they wish? Yeah, no, no bird nor nature, oh. although I do teach I do teach some birding classes at different times during the year, but this is this is writing hmm. and uh, so it it is fun. Man, they they just you know, I just hope they all hang on to their imagination. I warn them that somebody'll be trying to steal their imaginations from them and they better just hang on to them tightly cuz uh, it gets you through all kinds of things. Yeah, I was looking at the, I had a stack of papers here, and uh, one of the newspaper headlines blared that the locals were bracing for another winter storm. They could just have, well, just, they could have said, look out. That would have covered it pretty much, because <laughs> we're, you know, and I should have been preparing physically and or mentally for something unpleasant, but if I'm not ready by now, I'll never be ready. There's more than enough snow to go around. I walked through it this morning, and I I'm walking pretty good. It's, I'm like Wiley Coyote when he runs off the cliff. As long as he keeps walking, he's doing pretty good. And I'm walking across the hard snow, and then I stop to listen to a chickadee singing its spring song, Sweetie, Spring's Here, and whew, down through the snow I fell. So oh, I, no. I guess the secret is just to keep walking like Wiley Coyote because winter is not an easy companion. But the citizens of the yard here stay busy because they need to eat. Goldfinches, I'm seeing goldfinches in my yard now. They generally become more common customers at the bird feeders during the second half of winter. It's as if they have been inspired by a coach's spirited halftime talk. Uh, juncos are trilling as if it were the next season. Hornlarks, Lapland longspurs, snow buntings are feeding on roadsides. The darling of my yard and my minimum daily bird requirement, a chickadee sings of spring. So it's uh, the day is exactly in my size. I hope everybody's finding that to be true uh, for them, too. That's, uh, I guess that's all we ask is uh, for a day that fits us. And uh, this is certainly one of those that uh, fits me. Well, I've been, seeing, to- I've been seeing chickadees, juncos, cardinals and squirrels at my bird feeder so that's been kind of exciting to see them regularly visit i had a friend who posted uh, something on facebook said they actually and actually a picture they saw a cardinal two cardinals cannibalizing a sparrow apparently they get hungry enough they'll kill other birds yeah i've seen those every so often through uh, through time and I, i'm not sure always if they're uh, if they have done the uh, killing or they just uh, happen upon a uh, a dead bird and will eat it. And I think about chickens. You know, chickens would eat another chicken oh. um, if, if they get hungry enough. Uh, a duck probably doesn't eat another duck because it's pretty hard with those bills <laughs> they have. But with a chicken, they will do that. So I have heard that uh, several times. I don't think it's real common, but... For a bird that will eat an insect or something, I suppose uh, it would be, you know, 
This time of year, particularly, a cardinal is normally eating seeds or fruit, but you get pretty hungry out there, and you're having a tough time, and maybe you come across a, a dead uh, dead bird. I, I hope it's not like a Donner party thing <laughs> that's going on there, but, uh, yeah, I've heard of it. Uh, Delbert and Judy Carson, I ran into them, they're from Clark's Grove, and they uh, I got to know Delbert and Judy uh, many years ago thanks to a shared love of Purple Martins. They're Purple Martin landlords extraordinaire. Delbert and Judy said the winter's been good for one thing. And, uh, shoveling snow? Up. It's been well, shoveling. You always want yeah, <laughs> exercise. That was yes. my thought. Um, they've seen more cardinals than ever yes, before. Yes, me too. So they, they said that was, you know, there's good things that come out of, uh, I don't know if we should call winter a bad thing. That's kind of being harsh. It's just being winter. But they've seen more cardinals, and I think that's pretty neat. Verlaine uh, Krieger of Neritzland has uh, sent my wife something showing many wild turkeys in her yard. Uh, Tim Scott, good buddy, Tim sent the article from the Star Tribune. In, uh, I'm a newspaper columnist, too, and I'd written about this oh, a month, probably a month ago. And, uh, but I appreciate Tim reminding me that I should talk about it, maybe. Um, it says that no one is entirely sure why they choose these trees. This is in Mexico. Uh, one of the reasons is the microclimate. The old-growth trees radiate heat, so they stay warm through the winter. These are monarch butterflies, and the monarchs generally arrive at the beginning of November, and they're headed north by mid-March. Hmm. In Mexico, the area of the forest inhabited by monarchs has increased 144% from 2017 to 2018 to nearly 15 acres of land, and that's according to Worldwide World Wildlife of Fund Mexico and its partners. Uh, John Richardson, I've known John for uh, quite a while. He is, uh, oh, I... I don't know what his title. I always get people's titles wrong, and then I feel bad. I, I could just say John is king, and that that would cover pretty much everything. He is the uh, oh, he's a, the head of the hawk counters at Hawk Ridge in Duluth, and they have started their spring season at Hawk Ridge. And despite the unseasonably frigid temperatures, uh, they have seen the bald eagles. Uh, a Cooper's, the first Cooper's hawks and sharp shin hawks heading north to their breeding grounds. This past week, they broke the record low, minus 15 in Duluth on the 4th of March. That mm. was set in 1875. The snowpack is measurable in feet at almost 35 inches during February, also a record. Uh, so take a look at Finland, Minnesota, up on the shore. They had over 130 inches this winter. So far, uh, the count goes until mid to late May, and Frank Nicoletti, another fellow I've known forever, will be the main counter. Uh, so far, this was as of March 10th. They had over 100 bald eagles, and they saw their first golden eagle on March 9th. And oh. I know I I say this every year, but folks, if, if you haven't uh, been to Hawk Ridge, I like going in the fall. <clears throat> just it's so beautiful up there and to see that many birds it's just uh, and um, somebody i sent up there told me it was fun but it was overwhelming 
And she had hit one of those days when there were just so many birds. And I said, well, that's a good thing, isn't it? And she said, yeah, but it was hard to see them because there were just so many. A fella called and talked to my wife. I was outside uh, falling through the snow and shoveling snow and <laughs> filling bird feeders and getting the mail, that kind of the, the chores of each morning. And he said he has one of these squirrel-proof feeders that the weight of the squirrel will pull it down so it, it the squirrel can't get in there. It shuts off the feeding ports. But he said the snow is so deep now that the squirrel can get up on top of the snow and just kind of reach down. It doesn't have to get on the feeder at all. And reaches down and gets the snow, so or gets the seeds and, and snow probably too. Squirrels... Uh, I know my mother-in-law lives in New Richland, Lorraine Nelson, and she loves to feed the birds and loves to watch them. And so when Gail and I go there, we fill the bird feeders. And we had to buy her a new bird feeder the other day because the snow got so deep that squirrels can sit on their rear end <laughs> and just chew on the feeders. Oh, dear. Before, it was hard for them because they had to try to hang on there, and it's hard to chew on stuff. But So it, it was... a bad thing for that feeder, but it was a good thing for a place selling feeders. Well, this is the first year we've actually had squirrels running around on our roof because the snow is so high they can actually get up on the roof of the house and so you can see the little tracks all the way up there and, and they're just having a jolly good time. And uh, I've also put seed in the, the feeder and of course they take it away from the birds and we go out and we scare them away and then the birds come back and they come back. So yeah, it's been an extraordinary year for, for them. And I saw a picture also on Facebook, uh, somebody from Michigan showing they had a deer that climbed up on their roof. Oh, my goodness. That wouldn't be good. Well, of course, no. maybe it'd be like a snow <laughs> rake. It's knocking all the snow off. Perhaps. The roof, so. With sharp hooves, though, I don't know. It might wreck the shingles a little bit. I would think so. I'm I'm hoping squirrels sound like a herd of buffalo when they're on the roof. <laughs> yeah. One squirrel. It just, you think, what in the world? And I'm hoping that... They, too, are knocking some of the snow down while they're running from place to place up there because it just, it'd be nice. I stopped at a place, and I think I mentioned it last week. They said, do you have snow rakes? And, uh, you know, they just kind of elbowed one another, the clerks, and and smirked a bit (laughs) and said, oh, you know, where were you in June? You should have been here early. I got a nice email from somebody saying they had a lot of robins in their yard. This was in Lesseur. And uh, asked about what to feed them and everything, and we talked about bits of fruit and water's good for them. And, and I said robins will eat sunflower seeds, but they, they're not really meant to crack those seeds and eat them. So if we just give them the regular sunflower seeds, they're going to look at them and say, boy, I don't know what that is. In the winter, some robins will eat sunflower hearts, which are hulled sunflower seeds, or sunflower chips, which are the broken or semi-crushed seeds. And they will uh, gladly eat that. Will every robin do it? No, they don't. They're not necessarily trained as feeder birds. So until all robins go through that training (laughs) and get uh, certified as feeder birds, they probably uh, will just ignore it. But uh, the ones that will eat it, are they're just real happy to, to have the food. So they'll, they'll thank you in the way that robins thank people. I, I talked to somebody by phone. They called and said, uh, 
it was kind of a bittersweet thing. Her her brother had died, um, and he she just loved him, of course. But she said, "I you know you remember odd things after when people die, things that uh, oh you know sadly sometimes we remember things that we should have told them. We should have told them we loved them much more often, or we should have told them what a difference they made in our lives." But sometimes you remember things, especially about when you were kids, uh, some goofiness. And she said, my brother used to call me a dodo when he <laughs> thought I'd done something stupid. And he thought I'd done something stupid pretty much all the time. But she was wondering, why was an extinct bird considered stupid? And the the dodo was discovered by Portuguese sailors in the... Uh, 1500s on Mauritius. Uh, it's a small island in the Indian Ocean where the flightless bird had no natural predators. So it couldn't fly, but that was okay because there was nothing there to hassle it. So there were, it had no fear of humans because it had never seen a human before. It's like us in those old uh, scary sci-fi movies when I was a kid. The UFO always would land and these odd-looking characters that look sort of like humans, only with big heads and maybe an extra finger. And they would always say, we come in peace. And humans, we bought into it because we had no fear of these people because we'd never seen them before. Well, the sailors incorrectly thought the lack of fear was a lack of intelligence. So they named the bird the dodo from the Portuguese, and I believe it was Dudu, D-O-U-D-O-U, and I'm sure I'm pronouncing that wrong, but in Portuguese that means simpleton. Uh And the dodo population dwindled as they were hunted for both sport and food, and then their eggs were eaten by the settlers' pigs. And from the time they were discovered, it took about 80 years for the dodo to go extinct. So it's just sad business. It just... I'd like to see a dodo other than a painting of them and that sort of thing. Well, now, were they actually uh, smart then, Al? Because you said, that, you know, they assumed they were simpletons, but were they pretty smart? They they couldn't have been really smart if they went extinct, I wouldn't think. <laughs> well, they had no way to get away. <laughs> That's what I mean. Uh, they, <laughs> they didn't think of yeah, a way they to... they couldn't fly, so they just said, you know, I don't know what you could do. Say, don't hit me with that club. It was about all they could do, sadly. I read something once that said, and I wish, I can't remember where I read it, of course, because it was a long time ago, said they thought the dodo was of the intelligence of like a rock pigeon, a common hmm. pigeon. <clears throat> and pigeons have been taught to do all kinds of tricks and solve problems, and a pigeon can find its way home from 500 miles away, so... Yeah, they're, uh, I think rock pigeons are pretty smart, and the dodo would have been right in that category. So actually they were uh, fairly intelligent, and they do that by basing it on uh, its relatives and how its relatives do. I had a little uh, little girl ask me, and uh, it's a great question, why they had carved up pellets, dissected owl pellets mm-hmm. in the school. And said, why do owls cough up those pellets? Why did they do that? And owls, if you've seen an owl eat, if they have small prey, they will swallow it whole. They'll just woof the whole thing down. It's like a hot dog eating contest. <laughs> if you, I can't believe those guys. I watched oh. one uh, 
somebody sent me a video, and I said, oh, you know, I don't want to watch this, but it's one of those things where you have to watch it. And the guy just shoved the whole hot dog, just, woof, down it went. And Did I they have the buns on, too? Because that always amazes me when they've got the bread, too, because that seemed like that would be hard to get down. They did, and I think they allowed them to butter them up, kind Oof. of, the buns, so they would slide down a little bit, and then I, they drank water. Oof. But, oh, gee, you know, I I just, um, I couldn't watch the whole thing. I probably had a really good, happy ending, but I, I couldn't <laughs> make it through there. I thought, oh, I started, uh, my throat started plugging up, saying, don't send any more of these videos down. Uh, so owls swallow small prey whole, and it the gizzard, it goes goes into the gizzard, and it's a thick-walled organ that uses digestive fluids and grit to grind and dissolve all of the usable tissue from the prey. So the types of tissue that could be dissolved in an owl's digestive system include muscle, fat, skin, internal organs. So that leaves bones, teeth, feathers, fur, and insect shells. They collect in the gizzard, and then they form into a palate, and then the bird regurgitates in digestible uh, material as a palate. Is that anything like a cow that regurgitates and chews their cut? I mean, I assume that cows, I know cows don't have the grit, but, I mean, they actually spit up their stuff and re-chew it. Is there any similarities? Um, Maybe not a whole lot. Uh, Yeah, they're ruminants. So they, uh, I used to watch them, and I thought, boy, you know, it's pretty cool because they've got gum at all <laughs> times. Yeah. And it's just, uh, but um, ruminants, they're, they're able to acquire nutrients from plant-based food. They will ferment it in oh. a uh, specialized stomach prior to digestion. There's uh, microbial actions going on there, and then they'll... Um, pop it up and chew it up a little bit more and swallow it, and that way they get the the full extent of what they need from that. That said, if any of you uh, have ever walked the manure trail out (laughs) in a field, just walking along where they've spread cow manure, you will see a lot of uh, undigested corn there. Mm -hmm. And it's a place that turkeys like to go. And uh, pheasants sometimes, but turkeys really love going along there because they find that corn is a wonderful, wonderful thing to eat. And um, it doesn't bother them like it would us. You know, we'd say, oh, I don't know, we'd be about starved to death before we'd, well, we'd probably <laughs> recycle. Would starve to death before. <laughs> yeah, but uh, that's what, what happens. I'm uh, seeing some colors on the snow, and uh, it's very often because they've been eating berries, uh, rabbits or something have made these colors on the snow as they uh, relieve themselves. And I think a lot of it is maybe buckthorn berries or maybe buckthorn uh, bark. And and somebody asked me a while back, and they said they had a lot of common buckthorn berries in their yard, and they were wondering if common buckthorn berries are harmful to birds. And, you know, I've read oh, a thousand articles 
saying that it is. You know, it runs through, and I'm sure I've probably repeated it at some time through the years. It gallops through their system. It's like diarrhea berries, and it comes out. It is that way for me. I've tried them. Oh, and gee. for mammals, <laughs> it is. It's not a, don't eat them. They're just bad. Don't make pies on them. Don't do anything. But I couldn't find any research or studies that found that they are toxic to birds. And I found quite a few studies. Uh, I've unearthed nothing in the studies to back up uh, that mm. they're harmful to birds. But buckthorn is invasive. It outcompetes native plant species. It defines hardiness, and um, we need to try to get rid of it uh, at least as much as we can. But as far as I can tell, if birds say, you know, it's okay with us. And there are times when the berries probably wouldn't be very good for them, but it seems that birds have learned when the right time to eat those berries are. So they're, they, birds are just, you know, they're survivors. If they were on that show, the survivor, they'd be the winners every time. Uh, so they know when to eat these berries and when not to eat them. And I think that's just incredible that they can do that. I, I just, every day. Every single day, I am amazed uh, what I learn about birds. It's just a, a wonderful, wonderful thing to be. My dad always said, and I've mentioned this a lot, but he said, if you like birds, you'll never be bored a day in your mm-hmm. life. And uh, he, he was so right, because there's, there's always more to learn and more to see. And I see things doing something that I've never seen before, and I'm just amazed. Um, a text message from somebody said what do you know about racing pigeons um i know i can't beat them at (laughs) racing it's just they're really fast i talk to people that race them i talk to a guy that raises them and trains them that lives not too far from me Uh, people call me all the time because they've got one in their garage that has the bands there's bands that you can read and find out where they're from the problem is if they get lost and they don't make it to the end of the race, if you call the people whose pigeon that is, they really don't want them back because they're not very good at what they do. So Aw, rejected. They, they, <laughs> it's sad. Yeah, they just say, I'd like you to have that pigeon as a gift. Well, you know, what do you do with a racing pigeon that can't race or a homing pigeon that doesn't come home? It's and so people feed them, and I'm still, is there a, happens to Is there a pigeon rescue? You know, because like with racing dogs, when the dog couldn't race anymore, or horses, they have rescue, so I assume there must be something for racing pigeons? That is a wonderful question, and I, <laughs> I don't know for sure, but I would bet uh, my week's allowance that there is, and I don't know anything about hmm. them, but I bet there, there has to be. Because you're right, racing greyhounds, racing horses, all those things, there's a a rescue. Uh, My cousin down in Texas had a rescue for these, and he still has a few of them, for these little miniature donkeys Mm -hmm. and horses, those tiny little things that people get as pets. Yeah. And then after a while, they determine, you know, we got a miniature horse there. What the heck do we do with it? We can't ride it or anything. <laughs> we can hook the kid's wagon up to it maybe in the 4th of July, but now they're all in college, the kids, not the horse. And they say there's no point in having this anymore, so then they want to get rid of it. Well, there isn't that big a market for uh, tiny horses and donkeys. So my cousin Russ ended up as a... Um, facility where these things would come in and he'd feed them and 
just keep them around. And if he could find anybody that wanted one, he was more than willing to give it to them uh, gratis. So, But um, pigeon racing, it's a sport, uh, I think you all know, it's a sport of releasing trained pigeons, which return to their homes over a carefully measured distance. And the time it takes a bird to cover that distance is calculated compared with other race contestants to determine the winner, and they try to breed their pigeons to be better winners, just like the Westminster Kennel Club show or, or people that go to cat shows, if you know <laughs> anybody that does that. Yeah. You, try to, you try to get a better pedigree all the way through the line, and pigeon racing, they certainly do that. But my question and, is, how do, the, how do the pigeons know where the racetrack is, where the finish line is going to be? I don't, I don't get that because, I mean, how would they know and say, okay, go here and then come back? How, how do you know that? <laughs> I talked to one guy one day, and they, they had them all in a truck, mm-hmm. and they're little little boxes on there and i'm sure there's a name for that and then they drove out to by tulsa oklahoma mm-hmm. and then at a certain time there's a uh, something on there that measures when they're open so they you can't open them early and say no no i open it at the right time it has to be open at a synchronized time and you let them go oh and then they all fly back here and when they come in they're clocked the same kind of way like we are when we check into work you hit the punch the clock and it tells when they got here so they have when they left and when they got here so you basically so, drive them in the middle of nowhere and then they're supposed to come back to that spot is that yep they oh. let them go oh huh. okay and so it'd be it's different they all they will be released at different spots because it's supposed to be the same same mileage hmm. Uh, and I don't know how they determine that with GPS of some kind. And I always thought, you know, it could be unfair because you could let the one birds go by an area where there's more trees and maybe more Cooper's hawks. And I'm sure they try to avoid mountains and and um, deep lakes. And how about roadside stands? Lakes. You could get distracted by a roadside stand, you know, some good <laughs> fruit could. or something. You could. <laughs> So there's other things that come into play on this, but it, it, it's you know if if you know anybody that races these pigeons, they are uh, gung ho about it. So they just love talking about pigeons, and oh, they kind of get a little misty sometimes when they talk about an old pigeon. And Cooper's hawks are one of the banes of the existence of pigeon racers because Cooper's hawks will come out and try to knock them out of the sky. And it sometimes a fellow told me he thought it ruined some of the pigeons because they get scared so no. much by that. They just don't want to fly long distances anymore. They just want to stay home in their coop. And uh, I know in, uh, Andy Cap. when I was growing up, Andy Cap was in the newspapers, a comic strip. And he always had pigeons and was um, always oh, selling pigeons or trading pigeons or something like that. And and uh, we, growing up, we had barn pigeons, and they um, they hoot and they cooed and made wonderful sounds. And I liked having them around, but I I always thought they'd get lost. But I would have been wrong. They would have found their way home much better than I'd have been able to. And it was I, I liked having them around. I thought they were pretty. I did too, but they always made a mess of you know pooping on the 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 hay and the, the feed and stuff, so I know they weren't exactly desired in the in the barn, so I know that sometimes people would come and take a BB gun and try and get rid of them, so they weren't always welcome. That's right. I, I never shot them. I couldn't 
do that, I guess. But my dad referred to them on occasion as feathered rats because oh. they were pooping <laughs> on the alfalfa. Yeah. And he just thought that was a personal vendetta against him for one reason or another. I hope that everybody will come to the cafe today where the food chain is missing a few links, a special as always Heimlich Maneuver and gravies considered a beverage, and now featuring authentic leftovers of less hair in the food and real cup holders where grease is good and none of the food smells like feet. Well, hardly any. I don't know if you've ever done this. I'd forgotten to shake the bottle, and I got mustard water on my sandwich. <laughs> and it just, ew, gross. And I looked outside, more winter. Ew, gross. <laughs> don't you hate it when the weather forecast was right? I I tried walking again over that gigantic snowbank that had become my yard, and I used my big feet. I should have used snowshoes. In my mind, I heard Carol King saying, I feel the earth move <laughs> under my feet, and I sank deep in the snow. I wasn't surprised because I'm a season ticket holder to winter, and winter is no secret. Uh, yet in a darkness broken only by the dim light of the car's dome light, I'd searched unsuccessfully the night before for a rogue ice scraper, and I did my best. I couldn't believe my incompetence as a veteran of many winters. I had at least 15 ice scrapers at home in ready reserve, but I couldn't find one in the car. Fingernails and an expired membership card were employed as ice removers. The car warmed and cleared the windshield, but it was an epic battle. The next day in natural light, I found four ice scrapers in the vehicle. <laughs> Remember, folks, Heartland is while we're driving past. Uh, do something wild today. Get out there and look at a bird. Thank you, Karen, as always, for your exquisite company. I appreciate all you do. Thank you, Alan. Hey, we'll be back again with you next week. Until then, happy bird watching. Stay out of the Thank snow. You. Don't fall in a snowbank. All right, <laughs> right bye bye. We'll try not to. Bye bye.